this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? amen? I am excited to be here. I need to ask all of you a very strong favor. Would you guys do something for me? Hey, my wife is awesome. Everybody's like, well, what is it? What's he going to ask us to do? I hope, that, I hope that you could, with confidence, know I wouldn't ask you to do something like morally compromising I wouldn't ask you to sin or do something like fishy. Uh, just, just so you know, um, this whole like first four rows over here is empty. So next week when we come to church, it's okay if you're sitting towards the rear of the church to come up a few. It's okay. I promise I don't bite. I'm just saying that. I just feel like so many of you are so distant. I can't see your facial expressions, and you could be mocking me the whole time, and I wouldn't know. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, guys, we love Children's Church, right? Uh, because we love what God's doing in the life of our young people. And I used to say that uh, I might have better engagement if I passed out candy uh, in the middle of my message, and I am so thankful that I have people that pay attention to the important things I say in my messages enough to bring me candy. So if I see you snoozing off or dozing off, uh, I'm not going to give you candy as a treat. I'm just going to pelt it at you right in the face. Like maybe I can lodge if you're snoring and you're like, just bam, right in the back of the throat. And it, that's, I'm not that good of a shot. Bad jokes. It's appropriate to start a Father's Day service with some dad jokes, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. That was as far as I was going to go. That's the extent of how we're celebrating Father's Day today. Dads, you're awesome. We love you. Um, I feel like that might be a better gift than if we made a big deal about everybody, right? No? Okay. Uh, weird, everybody's like, no, I wanted root beer and a candy bar and a pocket knife. Um, sorry. We do love you. And uh, guys, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me, I've got to be tempted not to eat those in the middle of my message now, <laughs> but it's a good deal. <laughs> I am going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Awesome. Well, guys, we are right smack dab in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, we've... We've diverted a few times, but the, even the diversions, I believe, have been orchestrated by the Holy Spirit to beautifully tie into Jesus' countercultural manifesto that is the Sermon on the Mount, in which he explains how we, as repentant citizens of the kingdom of God, will flesh out our faith in everyday practical life. And he addresses all of these things. He addresses misconceptions about the Mosaic Law. He comes in, and last week we really dove into uh, some spiritual disciplines that were very common in the day um, that Jesus kind of 
uh, brings some clarity to and some instruction on, right? We talked about uh, giving or charity, uh, prayer, and fasting last week. And those are uh, pretty primary spiritual disciplines, not just for Christianity, but we talked about how they're, uh, they're really pivotal in Judaism at large, but also even in Islam. They're three of the five pillars of Islam. There's something, that, there's something about these disciplines that form a basis for religion, right? We, we looked at that. And Jesus isn't saying that they're bad. They're, he's not saying that they're wrong, but the people were doing them in a wrong way, and he had to come and bring correction and understanding the motivation of the heart in doing these things, right? We know that giving's not bad. Jesus wants us to give, but he doesn't want us to give with improper motivation. I believe that it would be, uh, it would be detrimental to your spiritual formation if, I just, if you just gave a lot of money and uh, we kind of checked you off like it was okay. We understand, right? You can't buy favor with God based upon how much you give. I do believe your generosity can position you for blessing, but it's in no sense uh, kind of a, a thought of us just giving to get from God or giving so we could receive the applause of man, right? Um, and then the same with prayer. We talked about prayer, how uh, prayer has to exist primarily in the secret place first, and then the corporate realm, and it's not used as a platform to elevate ourselves as somehow more spiritual than someone else, right? We've been in prayer meetings like that where the one guy prays with all the big words for a really long time and is really loud and passionate. And it's almost like condescending to everybody else in the room. Anybody ever been in prayer meetings like that? I have, and it's not fun. Or they'll preach a sermon in their prayer to you in the middle, and it's weird. Jesus says, that's not what it's about. Um, and he addresses that. And then we talked about fasting. We talked about how fasting is a spiritual discipline that uh, actually requires us to abstain from food. It's a practice that most Christians ever actually practice, but it's the expectation that Jesus, of Jesus that we as followers of him would make a consistent practice of it and uh, not just like turning off Facebook or like not watching football games uh, or something like that. It is the actual abstaining of food. So you guys remember that? That was last week, a little bit of review. Um, but in that last week, when we talked about prayer, um, I briefly just went over prayer because I knew that I wanted to take a little bit more time in reflecting on uh, Jesus's model prayer or the, the prayer that we have here uh, that we know uh, most commonly, <clears throat> and I can't think of it. Why can't I think of it? It's not the model prayer. Lord's the Lord's Prayer. That's it. Wow. I don't uh, brain fart there. Is that okay? <laughs> I, could, I could quote it to you. I just couldn't think of what the subtitle is. It's even in my Bible right here. But um, we didn't get a large amount of time to talk directly about the Lord's Prayer. We just kind of read it. I knew I wanted to come back and give some more 
um, just some more insight into it. And so that's what we're going to begin to unravel. So uh, as we continue in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is that okay, guys? Yes, it is, because I love that we get to uh, hear what Jesus had to say about prayer. Uh, I made this statement last week when we were talking about prayer and we were talking about giving and fasting, how my heart was troubled in the sense that I don't know if Jesus' Jesus's sermon would land the same way with the modern church as it did with those that were hearing it there on the mountainside, right? When he's talking about uh, you give, but you give with improper motivation. You pray, but you pray with ulterior motives. And, you know, you fast, but you do it all wrong. Um, and in the reality, the most of the modern church we don't just do these things. It's not so much that we do things, these things wrong, but a lot of us have abandoned doing them altogether, right? And I say this uh, from a pastor's heart that is um, encouraged in the sense that I know as we talk about prayer today that this church has always prioritized the place of prayer. Since it's what I fell in love with this church as a 19, well, I was 18 at the time, as an 18-year-old kid that came here on a ministry trip during a week of prayer and walking in through these doors to encounter a church that was hungry for God, that knew what it was like to come together in the place of prayer and ask God to move. And that DNA that this church has been built on uh, since its foundation, <laughs> um, consistently again and again, uh, I believe God's going to honor that. And I'm encouraged by the fact that I know that Open Door Church is a community of praying people. And uh, we've, I, I've talked to other pastors. I've received counsel and insight, some good, some notoriously bad. In fact, uh, I heard of a pastor this last week that discouraged younger pastors from prioritizing uh, the place of prayer because the prayer meeting wasn't going to be uh, effective in ministry. That it wasn't good enough just to have a prayer meeting, but you need to make sure that, because not everybody's going to come to a prayer meeting. And my heart with that was just troubled and discouraged to hear that because I strongly, strongly hold to the affirmation that anything of eternal significance of uh, what God's doing is going to be birthed first and primarily in the place of prayer with God's people. And uh, so I really want to highlight some things that we kind of gather from the Lord's Prayer, why prayer is important as, a, as part of the DNA of Open Door Church. And then we're going to look at Jesus's instruction on actually how to pray. Does it make sense? So there's a lot about it. I'm not going to exhaustively teach everything there is um, on prayer this morning, obviously. Um, but I have entitled this message, The Lord's Prayer, Part 1. And initially when I had outlined it, I had outlined it into two parts. Um, and then even this morning, as I was uh, just kind of going over my notes and trying to make sure I'm only sharing what I'm supposed to share, um, I think I might even cut it back further and do this in a three-part message or more. But this is part one, and I know for a fact that there's at least one part to this message. And that's what I'm going to share this morning, and I'm excited about it. <laughs> and so uh, 
as we, so we're here in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm really excited about it, and really excited to unpack it. Um, but I want you to grasp what's happening in these verses, what's about to transpire, and the weight of that, and what it means for us today. Because we're about to be taught how to pray by Jesus Christ himself. That is cool. Like, this isn't like, this isn't like Mike Bickle's teaching on prayer, right? This isn't like the new guy that has, like, great uh, understanding. It's like, it's not Dr. Dick Eastman's, like, the hour that changes the world. All good things about prayer, right? This right here is coming straight from the source. This is Jesus himself teaching on prayer. And so I don't think we can, I, I think we can fall into the danger of being too familiar with what Jesus is saying here because, you know, we've repeated it, we've prayed it at funerals, it's something that's common, the language is familiar, and we can grow too comfortable with it and miss out on what Jesus is actually saying and the weight of the words here that he's presenting us. Because we can't afford to miss out on what Jesus is teaching here, because we understand that prayer is our lifeline. It's our connecting place with God. It's how we connect with God. And if Jesus, the perfect man, God's own son, the one that did not sin, often withdrew to the lonely places to pray and made it a priority, if Jesus had to pray, how is it that we neglect it so easily? I want you to think about that. Jesus was perfect. He didn't need, he, I mean, like, right? He, he was God. Yet he still relied on the place of prayer to receive from God while he was a man. And to model a life for us to show what it would look like for us to actually be connected with the Father. I want to pray like Jesus. So I think it'll be fun to look at what he teaches, Right? Oh, cool. Now, I'm, I'm going to read this in just a moment, but there's a counterpart to this, uh, to the Lord's Prayer. It's actually referenced again in Luke chapter 11, and I love uh, kind of the inclusion that Luke makes in his gospel in response to here. It was actually the disciples asking Jesus if they would, uh, if he would be willing to teach them how to pray. Luke 11, 1 says that it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place. So Jesus is praying. The disciples see Jesus modeling prayer. Something stirs up inside of them saying, we want relationship with the Father like that. They come to Jesus after he has ceased. And uh, the disciples ask him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? I had a lot of interjections in that, but uh, Luke 11, 1 says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. One of the first recorded prayers of the disciples in the New Testament is, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? I can't think of a more beautiful prayer. If you're here and, you know, we talked about how there's no spiritual gift of prayer last week. Like there's not like you're somehow more spiritual, like God endowed you just with the, the perfect vernacular so you could pray better than everybody else. Like that, that's hogwash. We understand that, right? Like somebody wasn't gifted with the ability to talk to God better than somebody else. 
It's a level playing field, regardless of what your spiritual gifting is or your calling in life. You're called to the place of prayer as a pastor, and you're called to the place of prayer as a school teacher. <laughs> you're called to the place of prayer as a Christian, friends. Does that make sense? Like we have a responsibility to connect to God. And uh, anyway, I could talk, I could go on that road. That's not what I was talking about this morning. But there's this beautiful, beautiful prayer that's first introduced is, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so if prayer has been a struggle for you, if the concept and the notion and even what it looks like, know that it was something that was foreign to the disciples that Jesus handpicked. And even they, some of them were zealots, right? <laughs> they still had to learn how to pray and how to pray correctly. So they asked God, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? It wasn't that they got taught how to do ministry. We never see Jesus teaching them how to write a sermon, right? <laughs> in fact, we don't even see him teaching them how to cast out demons. Instead, he says that these kind only come out with prayer and fasting. So if I'm to understand this correctly, the paramount of ministry and one of the pivotal, most important things that we could ever grasp if we're going to effectively carry out the ministry God's called us to is that we would pray and we'd pray rightly. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin in verse 9. We'll kind of jump back and forth between uh, some verses here. But in this manner, therefore, pray. This is Jesus' response to the Lord. Teach us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So I mentioned that we were going to break this up, but I kind of want to just highlight the format of this prayer and a couple different sections of it, and then we'll break it down and talk about it. That's the, the way like, I like to approach this kind of stuff, and it's fun for me, so that's what we're going to do. If you notice, the prayer is primarily broken up into two different sections of three. Um, and uh, there's two different themes here, and there's six actual specific requests or petitions. The first section of three requests or petitions in this prayer is one, that God's name would be hallowed. Two, that his kingdom would come. And three, that his will would be done. All three of these primarily deal with God and his glory. The second half of this model prayer shifts the focus from God's glory onto our actual needs. And this is, this is something important because too often we associate prayer simply with asking God for something, right? How many of you guys have been at that Thanksgiving dinner where you're saying grace and somebody prays like for the whole world, right? God, would you bless Susie? God, would you do this? God, would you, uh, or, or whatnot. And it's like this long laundry list of prayer of things that we need God to do, right? Jesus equates 
the, the hallowedness of God, which we'll talk a little bit more about that, the exaltation of his name, his will being done, his kingdom being, uh, his kingdom coming to the earth, the exaltation and the glory of God in the place of prayer, and it's listed before the requests of our needs, which we see very practically do play a part in prayer in that, um, you know, there's physical needs that we have, there's relational needs that we have, and there's spiritual needs that we have that are all, re- that are all um, a part of this prayer here. And so we see our needs, our needs for daily provision, for forgiveness, and strength in the face of temptation. And we see all of those kind of uh, tagged on, tagged on may not be the, um, come in at the end of the prayer. And so my initial thought was to break it up um, because I, I noticed six specific requests here in this, um, here in this text in kind of doing three and three. Um, and we might still do that. I'm going to kind of see how far I get this morning, but we might just hang out on the first request and if we do that, uh, I don't apologize, but I am excited about it. So let's jump into that. Let's jump into verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And really, uh, I really got hung up on this verse probably more than any of the other ones and felt like I could just keep reading and keep studying as I was kind of uh, just unpacking all the different commentaries, all the different thoughts, all the different great like legends of the faith that had something remarkable to say about this text. And I was like, man, maybe I should just compile a list of like 30 minutes worth of quotes and just read them to people because everything here is so much better than what I'm coming up with. Um, can I be honest? Those are thoughts that pastors have sometimes. I didn't do that, but... Uh, Man, I, I felt enriched is what I'm getting at, is what I'm saying here as I was reading this. But I had some things that stuck out to me first and foremost before I started reading other, uh, other thoughts. And those are what I want to share with you this morning. Um, and this, this comes into conjunction with personal experience. And I mentioned last week that we have to understand that Jesus is teaching on prayer here does not prohibit public prayer. Because we read last week that Jesus' instruction to us is that we would go in to the secret place, right? I've had conversations transpire where people confront me with the, the verses preceding this passage of Scripture and tell me that we're actually not within the will of God because we host so many prayer meetings. And that corporate, the corporate place of prayer and the idea of a prayer gathering is actually uh, sinful. And I want to be very clear that I think that that is just an excuse for someone who is uncomfortable with their relationship with God, that the thought of coming together with other believers to pursue Jesus in the place of prayer, uh, that they don't want to be a part, about, be a part of it. And I'm going to walk us through some scriptures there uh, that really flesh out this thought, but it hinges here, even in Jesus's teaching on prayer in the way that he addresses God and the language that's used throughout the prayer. Um, I believe that Jesus's sermon here and his teaching in this whole aspect of the Sermon on the Mount 
doesn't prohibit public prayer, but actually encourages it. The language that's used throughout uh, naturally lends itself to group prayer more so than private personal prayer, does it not? We, we look here, he uses our instead of my. He says our father instead of my father. And he uses us instead of me and we instead of I. And we see this corporate gathering uh, in this place of prayer that I think Jesus does intentionally. Now, it's not here, I'm just not saying that, oh, well, Jesus isn't talking about private prayer. Um, he's talking about something else, or um, he's using this because he's addressing a crowd. I think there is the relational aspect of the place of prayer that Jesus is trying to highlight here. This is a prayer that is focused on community. Jesus prayed, our Father, and not my Father. I love what Campbell Morgan states. He says, the whole prayer is social. The singular pronoun is absent. Man enters the presence of the Father and then prays as one of the great family. This is cool for me because even, regardless of if I'm praying together with you guys here in this room or if I'm praying together uh, just outside or by myself or in my car or in my prayer closet or something like that, I don't have a prayer closet. We're kind of short on storage space. But, <laughs> but if I'm praying in my office downstairs or something like that, I am still entering into communal fellowship with the saints of God, knowing that I'm a part of this family because we share the same father. This is why I, I think it's, you know, uh, we read in First John and we, we look forward into the rest of the New Testament why God takes our relationship with each other so seriously because we can't go to God as our father and hate our brother, right? That doesn't work. Anybody been in a family dynamic? Maybe you have a brother or a sibling or something like that where there was tension there. It's difficult to operate as a family unit when you know your father loves all of you equally, um, but you hate each other, right? It doesn't function well. It's not healthy. And so while we're talking here, and I believe that it does lend itself to group prayer, and I've experienced so much growth as a person, I fell in love with Jesus at a prayer meeting. I showed up my first, I, I shared this story sometimes, but I had given my life to the Lord, and I didn't know that church didn't meet in this like rundown warehouse. And I showed up to this rundown warehouse where the youth group was thinking that that was where the church was as well on Sunday morning after I got saved. And I waited around for a couple hours and nobody ever showed up for church. And I realized, man, this must not be where church is on Sunday mornings. They had a really beautiful building on the other side of town. It was really nice and really fun, figured it out later. But uh, I missed church my first Sunday after giving my life to the Lord. And I was a little bummed and disappointed about that. So I asked, well, when is the next like Jesus thing? Because I, I really want to get connected uh, and I'm excited about like giving my life to Jesus. I said, well, we have a prayer meeting on Tuesday night at six o'clock. And it was just a group of, you know, rowdy teenagers and a couple of youth leaders that would get together in this big empty building and they'd put on worship music and they prayed. <laughs> and I fell in love and I encountered Jesus in that atmosphere and it was there that I began to learn how to pray and learn what prayer looks like. So there is a communal uh, aspect of prayer that can be cult cultivated and developed to be implemented in the secret place as well. Um, anyway, I'm not going to make that my big like 
point of the message this morning because I, I hope that most of us are connected in that spot, understanding that there is a place for uh, group prayer that we could talk about, um, and we do that and we practice that here. But it's not, this is something that you have to understand, you can't make up for the fact that you don't spend time with God throughout the week just because you come to a prayer meeting that is public. And I believe that the depth of the public prayer meeting can never go deeper than the private devotion. Does that make sense? Cool. I hope that, I hope that helps somebody. Because verses 5 and 6 says this, and this is, I didn't actually read it, but I was going to. Because uh, 5, this is what we're referencing in case you weren't tracking. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they will have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And one of the big reasons why I feel like this isn't just prohibiting to public prayer um, or like somehow if you pray and somebody else hears you that your prayer is nullified, is I do not believe that the Holy Spirit could have been poured out on the day of Pentecost as we read in Acts chapter 2 if somehow Jesus was speaking against the place of public prayer here or corporate prayer. Maybe public prayer is different, but what did they do? They locked themselves in an upper room. They were together as the family of God, but they were together in a unified voice in one, in one spirit seeking God that he poured out his spirit upon them. And it's actually a fulfillment of what we read about here. What they did in secret in waiting on God together, God opened up the heavens, poured out their spirit and made a public spectacle of it, right? Where, I mean, 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord in one day. Pretty cool, right? Pretty rad. I believe that that model is a... I believe that that model is what we see here in the Lord's Prayer of God's people continually coming together. Now, that's not saying that this is all that that's about, but I do believe that there's provision for it here in the text. Make sense? So don't come at me after my message today and say, why do you have so many prayer meetings, Pastor Nate? Jesus said to go pray in your prayer closet. Um, we could talk. If, if you still think that, we, I have way more scripture, but... Not what I'm going to get hung up on today. Sound good? Come to prayer. It's awesome. If you struggle with prayer, if it's difficult for you, if what I'm speaking about today seems like it's, it's like a foreign concept or it's not something that you feel comfortable in, the best thing that you can do to grow more comfortable in the place of prayer and actually spending time with God on a consistent basis and talking to him is to be around people that pray. I, got, I hung around people that prayed, and that helped me understand what prayer looked like. That, I mean, how do kids learn how to talk, right? It, we don't just, like, lock them in their room until they figure it out, right? <laughs> we have conversations with them until they understand, and they begin to develop them themselves. And in the same way, friends, I don't think it's inappropriate to be a part of a, a prayer gathering as we form our personal devotional life in the place of prayer. And so don't let the fact that maybe you're struggling with being consistent on a daily basis in the place of prayer keep you from being around saints that could motivate you and push you to a greater depth of devotion than if you just try to do it by yourself. I don't know if that helped anybody or if that 
thought connected, but it helps me. So R, I got through the first word. <laughs> and the, the next word is our Father, right? Our Father in heaven. I'm not going to try to spin this into a Father's Day message. We're not going to sing Good, Good Father. Or I'm, this is my attempt at a dad joke here. This is probably as far as we're going to get. Um, I, I didn't plan it this way, but it works. And so this is my Father's Day message, talking about our Father. <laughs> but we see... Uh, that Jesus' teaching and prayer starts with this, our Father, right? Our Father in heaven. And it places a primarily strong focus on who God is. Not our need, not a concept about God, but who he is as Father. Foundational to a strong prayer life is a right view of God. We have to have a right view of God as our heavenly father. A.W. Tozer insists that a low view of God has been the biggest problem in the church in every generation. We think too little of God. We think wrong of God. We have improper thoughts about God, and that affects every aspect of the church, right? That affects every aspect of our life. And we need to understand that God is our heavenly father. He's our father in heaven. See, there's no evidence <laughs> um, that anyone had ever referred to God as father in this same language prior to Jesus. This would have been extreme cultural taboo. Uh, in Judaism in the day, because the, the word father here was considered far too intimate to use even in casual conversation. It was something that Jesus was breaking the norms when he was referring to God as the heavenly father, as his father. It was twofold. It was him also claiming to be the son of God, <laughs> Um, but referencing God on this intimate level, and it was deconstructing these ideas that Judaism had about who God actually was because they understood him to be this fearful, omnipotent, mighty, holy being, but he was so powerful that he was not approachable. And that's what Jesus comes and he sets right here in his teaching on prayer is that not only is God powerful, but he's also personal. He's also approachable, right? We understand that this, this God is transcendent in the fact that he's not, just, uh, he's not just like our dad here on the earth, but he's perfect and he sits in heaven. He's high and enthroned. It's not, that, it's not this picture of a God that's inaccessible, and this is what Jesus was trying to address here. It wasn't that he was just far off, but when it talks about him being in heaven, was meaning that he's better. <laughs> he's, he's someone, he's got a better way of things. He's got a higher way of things. He's otherworldly. He's different. He's not like you and I. He's powerful. He's omnipotent. He can make it happen. But in the same breath, he says he's also our father. And he, br he brings this beautiful marriage of the two together. 
that we understand that he is a loving and caring father, someone that is personal and intimate. It highlights the privileged relationship we have in Christ as children. It also sets us up for the right posture in viewing him as our dad, as provider, and viewing us, uh, putting us in the, the realm of children, that when we come before him, we don't tell God what he's supposed to do. How many of you guys have ever been in a, in a context of prayer where people are just telling God what to do? Like they're calling the shots, right? It's like, I'm so glad that God didn't answer a lot of my prayers as a teenager. Anybody with that there? If I would have had my way, God would have answered my prayers as a teenager. I got, because, you know, I was convinced that I had heard from God that this girl was supposed to be my wife and we were supposed to get married and it was supposed to be, it was the will of the Lord, right? I'm like calling Jesus, this is what you're supposed to do. Why is it not working? You told me this. And I'm so thankful that uh, he knew that I'm not always right and he didn't give me what I wanted every, every time I asked. Right? How many of you guys have kids that give something every time they ask? Okay, good. You're good parents. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to raise their hand. But, uh, <laughs> right, my son is... Uh, He's in this phase of where uh, he wants a snack all the time without eating his dinner. And uh, so he's coming to me all, like pretty consistently. Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? Can I have a drink? Can I have a snack? I'm like, no, son. <laughs> it's not, that's not it. And eventually I might give in because I'm not a strong-willed good father, but uh, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but the reality of it is uh, a caring father doesn't bend to the whims of his children, right? A caring father will give good gifts to his children, which is what we understand, but he's not so easily swayed by what we want and what we think we need. That should be comforting to you because it really is a sense of daddy knows best, right? And for me, as I was just reading this and apprehending uh, or just not apprehending, really trying to uh, take hold of what God was speaking here, he just simply reminded me of the fact that me coming before him as, with him as a father and me as a child, um, it's really this, this kind of subversive, not subversive, that's the wrong word, uh, but me coming underneath him and trusting that he knows what's best for me is the right posture of prayer. Cool. Um, yeah, I wrote some other things. Uh, I love the fact that this, this understanding of God in heaven, when he's talking about in heaven, it's talking about the host of his majesty, right? We're talking about how he's lofty, he's high above, but he's powerful, but he's also personal. And that's what Jesus does here. He combines these two ideas about God, that he doesn't just have to be powerful, and he's not just some tutti fruity kind of ball of love and, you know, hey, uh, he's yes to be feared. Yes, he is holy, but he's also our father, and he's made room for us to come close as his children. It's upon this framework that we understand it's the only way that we'll ever come before Jesus, come before God with the right motivation, 
um, to appropriately establish a prayer life. This framework of understanding that God is a father that's powerful and can do whatever. (laughs) And he's also relational in the sense that he cares about his kids and he cares about us. So that brings us to our first petition. And I've already determined I'm only going to get through one today, so that's okay. Uh, our first, our first um, petition here, our first request, uh, refers to, the na- to this, uh, hallowed be your name. When I read this first, and I think one of the ways that I've always constructed it was, this is obviously, um, this is obviously just starting this prayer off with, God, you're holy, Right? This, this kind of notion, this recognition that God, you're holy. But uh, when you actually like study the language here and you look at it, it's not phrased as this attribute of the holiness of God in context of worship. It's actually even more so posed almost as a question when it says, hallowed be your name. If you read in the New Living Translation, it says, Lord, would you keep your name? It doesn't say, Lord, would you? It says, keep your name holy. It's, this, this, it's the same word for sanctify. And we know that God's name doesn't need to be sanctified, right? It doesn't need to be made holy because it already is holy. It's not something that you can do to make it better. It's to be kept holy. And I believe here this understanding of the hallowing of the name of God is a cry of the heart. This request here, first and foremost, at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is of utmost importance because all the other ones uh, are what enable this one to actually transpire. And I think when we ask and we cry, Lord, would you make your name holy? Lord, would your name be hallowed in my life? It's the most important thing a human heart can ever do. To hallow is to keep holy. It's to recognize the majesty and the worth of God and put him in the right place. We've been talking about the preeminence of Jesus, right? We, we talked about the preeminence of Jesus when we looked at Mary and Martha and understanding that he has to have the rightful first place in our life where he demands our gaze. He demands our attention. It's not just this idea of, you know, we kind of give God our afterthoughts or, you know, we kind of add him into what we're already doing, but he must have the first place. He must sit rightfully enthroned on the seat of our hearts. It's this act of hallowing, of rightfully seeing God as holy. It's to value and treasure and treat him as entirely unique. God's holiness, his holy name, is the supreme and absolute treasure in the universe, is what John Piper would say. And I, I just, I love this idea of God being hallowed in the human heart is that he would be revered as holy. And it's talking about his name. His name is reflective of his character, of his person, his authority. And he's to be revered. Because as we read here, everything else Everything else uh, comes under subjection to this. 
and helps fulfill this in the sense that your kingdom would come, your will would be done, that we would have our debts forgiven, that we would forgive our debtors, that we wouldn't be led into temptation. All of these um, play a part in how we regard God as holy and how do we actually hallow his name. I realize that's not language that we use very often, but the simple truth of the matter is, I believe in the place of prayer and what Jesus teaches us how to pray is not just that we would say that God is holy, but that our hearts would come into alignment with the fact that he actually is and that we would ask for help to continue to represent him well. Hallowed be thy name. We're asking here that our Father, who is perfect and powerful, relational and close, would help us have an understanding, help us have a revelation of the full worth of God. Friends, I want to have right thoughts about God. I don't want to think too little of my Savior. I want to think of him rightfully. I want to regard him as holy. And I, I, I would I'd go on to say, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simply kind of start to shut things down here because if I get into the rest of this, we're going to be here for a really long time. And I don't want to feel rushed. But my prayer is as we continue to go through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that everything would come back and point to this place that he's being regarded as holy in our lives. That means in our conduct, in our speech, in our action, every aspect, we're asking that his name continue to be kept holy in our hearts and in our lives. That way that it might be regarded and kept holy out there because we know that it's not, right? It's, it's turned into a swear word, right? <laughs> the name of God. But when we pray and we ask, hallowed be thy name. God, would you keep your name holy? Keep it holy in my life. Father, I want to pray for my friends here in this room this morning. I want to pray for myself as well. Lord, that we would come into knowledge and understanding of complete revelation of you as the Father that is perfectly close, as the one who knows best, as the one that is in control, as the one that is gentle and caring of his children, as well as powerful and mighty who transcends man's thoughts and ideas and emotions and you sit high and enthroned amongst the heavens to the place where the earth is considered your footstool. Lord, I thank you that you're not just some other being. You're not just some, uh, some concept, but Lord, you're alive and you're active and you want to move on our behalf. Lord, and we have the privilege, the opportunity to come before you And I'm just asking that us as your children would learn to take advantage of that. 
to seize that opportunity to come near to you, to draw boldly before your throne. Yes, to make petition. Yes, to even intercede. But with the primary focus of it all, that you would be revered as holy. That we would join in the, the, in the chorus of the angels and the living creatures. That, that we would understand what it's like to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So my prayer is this, Lord, that you would reveal yourself in your goodness to us. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? For your namesake, for your glory, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.